Welcome back to the third and final episode of The Theory of Nothing. This episode will be deterring from the usual formula which we follow on this show. Today we will have an interview with someone actually qualified to talk about science. She has a PhD in neuroscience, is an associate professor at MRU and the acting chair of biology. I would like to welcome uh, Dr. Sarah Hewitt to the show. Hello. <laughs> First, I would just like to say thank you for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. All right, so just to jump right into this, uh, Sarah, you have a PhD in neuroscience. If you had to explain what neuroscience was to someone like me, whose basic understand understanding of neuroscience is basically it's the study of nervous system. What would you kind of just say? You know, that's that's not a bad starting point. That it's the study of nervous systems. Um, it's it is really the study of how neurons can talk to each other and how that kind of allows our entire body to communicate because it's kind of like your nervous system is like telephone wires in your whole body doing kind of everything. So it's a good communication system. So it's everything from looking at how the different parts of the brain um, function. Um, learning uh, learning about all the different uh, ways in which the different parts of the brain talk to each other but also how those signals get from the brain to uh, your extremities to like your fingertips and your and your feet as well so it's kind of it's really getting down to like the cellular level like how do those neurons function and at one kind of at one end of the spectrum and the other end of the spectrum is what people are maybe more familiar with which is more like psychology which is like the behavior of, of how, you know, how your neurons lead to a certain behavioral outcome. So on one end of the spectrum, you have how do the neurons work? And that's kind of where neuroscience sits. But at the other end of the spectrum, you have what is, what is the behavioral output, which is like psychology. And those two things kind of sit on a spectrum. And so neuroscientists can work at a very cellular level or they can work on a more behavioral level and kind of everything in between. Um, it's a really, really big field of work, so it's a little hard to, to define it in just one way because it really depends on what type of neuroscientist you are and what kind of neuroscience work you're doing. So if you say it's a big field of work and you have to sort of define which type of neuroscientist you are, well, what type of neuroscientist are you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I did cellular neuroscience. So I was very much at like the far end of, one, of the spectrum of looking at really like the, the smallest kind of parts of the cell. Um, neurons talk to each other using um, synapses. So basically that's where they, they send signals from one neuron to another neuron. And I spent my years of doing my PhD looking at how individual synapses function, how they fire, um, what makes them fire. And so it's, uh, um, I was looking at like the cellular level and I was studying um, stress response actually. So something that all of us are familiar with right now, I think is that feeling of, of stress and how stress can actually trigger these neurons to start firing and these synapses to start firing, which causes the release of stress hormones. So those stress hormones circulate throughout your body and they do a whole bunch of things to you. They like make your heart rate go up, your blood pressure go up, make you uh, either want to eat more or eat less, <laughs> all sorts of things that stress hormones can do. So um, I was a cellular neuroscientist looking at how those particular cells within the hypothalamus work to release stress hormones. Yeah, and especially since you're uh 
teach a uh, teacher at MRU, you can kind of like tell that which students will have the stress symptoms, right? Like got your own little test subjects in front of you. Absolutely. <laughs> you certainly see a range of, of people that deal with stress well and people who don't amongst students, but also faculty. <laughs> so how did you get into like studying this type of neuroscience? Like what drew you towards studying this topic in comparison to other scientific topics? So I did an undergrad in uh, kinesiology at U of C and I did exercise physiology. So I was really interested in, in sports basically, and I'm still interested in sports. <laughs> um, so a lot of, uh, a lot of what I was doing there was kind of looking at how, how does the brain change during exercise? Uh, as, as an undergrad, I was really interested in like, not just sort of the obvious about, you know, heart and muscles for exercise, but also like the brain, um, and exercise and what, what impact does this exercise have in the brain? Um, and then when I was done my undergrad, I spent a couple of years doing various other things that I didn't find particularly interesting. Um, and a good friend of mine, he had just started in a lab at the UFC and he was telling me about like all the really super cool techniques that they were using these really like million dollar microscopes that they could do this really cool stuff with. <laughs> and, and I thought, oh man, that sounds way more fun than what I'm doing right now. So I uh, went in and visited him in a lab one day and had coffee with the supervisor and, and they showed me how with these microscopes that you can take like you have a slice of brain, brain tissue, and you can look at the individual neurons in that brain tissue. And with a microscope, you can lower this electrode into an individual neuron, and you can listen to that neuron as it's firing away. You could basically record these electrical signals of a neuron in real time and see how the neuron is talking to all the other neurons around it in real time. And you can see it happening. And it's super cool. <laughs> and at that moment, I thought, "Oh yeah, this is this is awesome. I need to I need to know more about this." So I just applied, and that's what happened. <laughs> that's just really interesting. How even if it's just taken away from brain tissue, like not even attached to the host, it will still activate like that. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty. It's a pretty cool process to slice. You know, it's a living brain from from a rat. And you can slice it into very thin slices and then you bathe this brain slice in um, like artificial cerebrospinal fluid. So it's basically like we have cerebrospinal fluid surrounding our brains and it's made up mostly of water, but also like some sodium and potassium and calcium and chloride. And so you can make that artificially in a lab just by putting, you know, getting some water and mixing in the right amounts of sodium and potassium and chloride. <laughs> and and that'll, that's enough to keep the brain tissue going for, for a number of hours, actually. So you mostly focused on that in your PhD? Yeah. And it just, uh, that was the main technique I was using. It, it, it's a pretty, it's a really interesting technique. You can do a lot of different things with it. And that's kind of, we were working in a particular part of the brain that releases those stress hormones. So it just made sense to study stress and what kind of, what are, what are the mechanisms, like the cellular mechanisms, how does a neuron actually get activated when in a stressful situation and to trigger the release of those hormones. So that's what we were looking at. That's really interesting. You're quite passionate about like communicating science to other people. I, if you can look at your description on the MRU website, like you're very 
interested in that drive to pursue and communicating like what science is about what are scientists doing like to other people like the general public or students how did you kind of get into that mindset after you were finished your phd you know it was kind of while i was approaching the end of my phd i realized i was sitting in the lab one day and I, uh, I thought, okay, well, my life can kind of go in different directions right now and I need to make a bit of a choice. I can either do more lab work for many, many more years, um, which didn't appeal to me at the time, mainly because um, I realized that, like, I kind of, I'm really interested in all areas of science. And then the, the thing that I loved the most about my PhD was getting to read really broadly. I got to read about all sorts of different things. and and I knew that I was really passionate about reading about other areas of science. And I've always really loved writing. I'm not the best writer. There's many better writers out there, but I've always really loved it. And I thought I, what I really want to do is like get to learn about all sorts of areas of science, not just neuroscience, but like everything. <laughs> um, so I wanted to write about all these different fields of science. So I started looking more into like science writing um, and science communication. And I ended up taking a science communication course um, at the Banff Center. But um, when I, I got involved in that, I realized that I was really going to need to up my game with like public speaking. Um, and then I started working at Mount Royal and started to get into teaching. And teaching is just another form of science communication, just trying to speak clearly about difficult topics. And yeah, I just got really, really interested in that. And then I kind of came up with this idea of doing kind of like adventure science is what I called it. And I realized that, you know, I could sit in a lab all day or sit in front of a computer all day, or I could get outside and travel and go visit researchers all over the world doing, doing work. So I started, I basically started emailing people and asking, Hey, can I come with you on your <laughs> your field for your field work? And and I got pretty lucky the first couple of times. And now I get to spend quite a lot of time traveling all over the world, like sometimes nearby and sometimes in far off locations. <laughs> and I work with scientists in the field and I learn all about what they do and I help them out and do it as well. And I've been to the Arctic and the desert and like North and South <laughs> and all sorts of places. And, and that got me into like photography and writing and some audio stuff too. So just kind of the more you do it, the more you realize how cool it is and how much you want to do more basically. Yeah. So that's, that's a perfect kind of just segue into what my next question was. It's, I was looking up, like just doing some research about what you do in your field of work. And I found your website, the science B-sides. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and like, I was looking at it and I'm like, well, she's been to like Ethiopia, like all these places. And like you participate in these other researchers studies and you kind of just write little, like what they're doing, is, um, post them on these websites or it's just like a collective of your work. So it's interesting how you like want to just go and tell the general public like, hey, these are these, these are like these incredible people like scientists out here and like, this is what they're doing to help further our understanding. Like, 
could you explain what that's more about in your terms? Yeah, sure. So, you know, for me, I think it's because people have an image of scientists in a lab and kind of have a sense for what that looks like. And I'm not saying that that's correct either. <laughs> scientists in labs are doing very cool things too. Um, but generally speaking, people's understanding of what scientists are doing and why, and also how they're doing it is, is not very good. People don't generally really have a solid understanding of how science works. So I think for me, a lot of this is about trying to um, show people like, this is how we know what we know. Like if some, you, you might read, you know, on CBC or something, something comes out that says, oh, uh, you know, pollution, air pollution is, is killing the, the rainforest. Okay, well, how, how do we know that? Like, you know, th this one of the things that leads to people not believing in science, not believing the news is because they don't understand how it's done. Like how do they, they just think that scientists like look through binoculars and they're like, oh yeah, I think that's probably air pollution killing the rainforest. They don't understand like the, the work that goes into figuring that out. So those are kinds of, the kinds of stories I want to tell are about like, th this is how we know that air pollution is killing the rainforest because we have these researchers that climb up into the treetops and they study, you know, the leaves in the, in the trees and they do these experiments up there you know, 150 feet up in the air um, and to, to study this. And it's like incredibly painstaking work and really hard work. But that's how we know air pollution is, is killing, you know, the trees. You know, this is how that work is done. And I'm, I'll tell you because I'm going to go and do it. Like we have to go hike for miles through across the tundra in the Arctic and, you know, measure, take these really careful measurements year after year after year of doing this. And it's, it's, Again, it's painstaking, but that's how we know things are changing. And so for me, a lot of it is like, I really want people to understand how, it, how we know what we know through kind of my own personal experience of showing you this is, this is kind of the, the gritty way that we actually have to figure this out. It's not all, you know, just done through computers. Like there's people have to go into the field and get really dirty and dig stuff up and climb trees and get bitten by ants and you know, there's all sorts of things that happen to you in, in the field. And that's, that's how we know what we know. And it takes a lot of careful work. So for me, a lot of it is like, I just want people to understand the process of science and to understand how, how we do things. Unfortunately, that is all for this episode of The Theory of Nothing. I'd like to once again thank my guest, Dr. Sarah Hewitt, for coming on the show. And that is all. I will see you guys next time.